Welcome to the Restaurant Boiler Room, Season 5, Episode 6. I'm your host, Rick Ormsby, Managing Director at Unbridled Capital. Today in the Boiler Room, I'll be combing through the recent survey results from 39 lender responses regarding the State of the Union on the current environment for franchise M&A lending as of July 2023. The Restaurant Boiler Room is a one-stop shop for multi-million dollar merger and acquisition activity and financial complexities affecting the franchise restaurant industry. We talk money, deals, valuations, and risk delivered to the front door of franchisees, private equity firms, family offices, large investors, and franchisors on a monthly basis. Feel free to find all of our content at Unbridled Capital's website at www.unbridledcapital.com. Now, let's enter the Boiler Room. Well, hello, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning in. Let's see. As of today, it's the day before the 4th of July. You'll probably be hearing this in a couple of weeks, so it's always delayed a bit. But uh, happy 4th of July, man. This is kind of one of my favorite holidays. Uh, I love them coming cheesy like this, I suppose. I love the old uh, America songs that, that uh, you know, we all learned as kids. I kind of just love to hear those replayed on the 4th of July and watch the fireworks and eat the hot dogs and hamburgers, all the good stuff, right? So hope you all had a nice 4th of July. In Pensacola here where we live, they do a huge Blue Angels show uh, twice a year because uh, the Naval Air Station Pensacola is right down the road. And it's uh, and they had just the Blue Angels come by and, and, they, and they do it up big. So they have like a practice run on Wednesday and then they have a practice run, a rehearsal on Thursday and then Friday and then as well. And then on Saturday is the big day. So they have like in hundreds of thousands of people come to the beach and watch these F-18 air shows. It's pretty cool. In some cases, the F-18s actually hover less than like 20 feet above the Gulf of Mexico on the beach. And so it becomes kind of a big deal. That happens every year around the 4th of July. Now, for Unbridled Capital this year, just before we get into today's topic, and I think it's going to be a good topic. I mean, I try to do this once, if not twice a year. I don't want to get the lenders angry at me with too too many emails, but at least once a year, I try to get a lender response solicited on the state of the union of of the franchise industry. And this year was uh, no doubt the same. There's a lot that's been changed and in you know just a couple of days ago, I got 39 responses here, and so we compiled those. I believe there's 16 or 17 kind of responses. And then you know I changed up some of the questions this year, but most of the questions are the same. So I have last year's kind of study too and survey results. And so most of this episode will be me just going one by one and talking about the results. And you'll hear kind of a series of kind of high-level data, and then you'll hear, like you usually do, me kind of talking between the lines about what I think it all means. So that's coming up here. A couple of things before we start. Just as a note for this year's M&A industry, it's been, as you all know, so far year-to-date, quite slow. Our pace is probably looking to be about the same as 2022, which is down substantially, of course, from 2021. And then also down, you know, significantly from kind of a, a four or five year average. So the, the deal activity is still on the low side. Phone calls are picking up. Uh, I think kind of what's happening generally in the industry is you have, uh, you know, comps are really getting better for most franchisees. They were slow in many cases to take pricing. And so 2022 was rough because because uh, commodity costs moved up so much and and sales were trailing because of the commodity cost increases. In other words, franchisees saw the cost increase and they immediately, two or three or four periods thereafter, started raising their prices. In many cases, a lot of franchisees have lower traffic, 
lower guest count, but they have higher sales that greatly offset it. And uh, profitability is starting to look good in 2023, but there's still not a full year of good results for many franchisees, if, unless you're in a couple of the real premier brands that are doing great right now. So for that reason, and with in- increased interest rates and a little bit less availability of capital, you see kind of like a, a little bit of a quiet market. I think this is going to improve and increase in 2023 as we move towards Q3 and Q4. We're just going to have to see and watch it. I mean, it seems like every other month is something crazy in this in this world, right? So uh, it just seems like there's more variability in everything we do than I've, I've ever seen before, certainly coming out of COVID. But that's kind of my view at the margin right now. You know, we've had five closings at Unbridled Capital so far, and we have about 13 or 14 other assignments that are active. Four of those five closings have been in Taco Bell, believe it or not, which which is a little bit kind of rare for us. I mean, we do a lot of Taco Bell work, but but not uh, but not this high of a percentage relative to other brands. You know, we've got assignments right now in Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, KFC, Burger King, Freddy's, Popeyes, Little Caesars. Possible assignments upcoming in Sonic, Panera, and Wendy's, and then several non-restaurant franchise deals that are out there too, of various sizes, some really large, some first-generation franchisees that are that are small and medium-sized, uh, you know, sellers, founder-owned businesses, and some private equity family-owned businesses that are either looking for a new equity partner or looking to sell their investments. So it's really a variety and array of different types of assignments out there in the marketplace, but I do but I do think uh, it should pick up. It's it's it stayed again a little bit slow. Two of our most recent assignments I'll tell you about just recently. Uh, one one was uh, just a six unit Taco Bell assignment that uh, a franchisee in the Midwest sold to an existing franchisee, Shamrock TBC Incorporated, led by Dan McGew. And Dan is actually a second generation franchisee uh, in the Taco Bell and KFC brand. His dad Steve started the business and in uh, Illinois years ago and uh, is a wonderful man who just recently, you know, uh, passed away, was a friend of mine. And Dan is a, is a really just one of these exciting young franchisees who's taken the family business and intends to grow it. So congratulations to him. He kind of, you, you know, uh, so, so that was one assignment. And then we were also involved recently in a, um, in a Wingstop deal. It was a 20-unit Wingstop transaction in Ohio that was sold from a franchisee who, it's interesting, this franchisee is a great guy. And he started off in the Northeast with a, you know, a big Northeast Ivy League degree and a lot of great work experience in the financial industry and then became a franchisee. And, and he did it differently than other franchisees do. He did it by kind of becoming an operator and a franchisee himself in the Wingstop brand instead of like finding a family office and buying 50 or 60 or 100 locations and being like a being the franchisee of record and being the president and CEO of the company, but but not actually putting on your boots and, and actually building stores and, and operating in, in the stores. But this franchisee did. And, you know, the Wingstop brand was one of those incredible brands that really, you know, has grown recently. I mean, they had a bad swing of things in 2021 in the early part of 22 with really incredible wing pricing. I mean, wing pricing almost doubled. And so food costs at that time were in the low to mid 40s, which is a business that's kind of difficult to make money when your food costs are that high. But now as wing pricing has basically dropped in half in many cases across some of these brands, and the brand has done so well, Wingstop particularly, because of their model is so heavily digital, right? I mean, this Wingstop's not really, I mean, it almost functions like a, an IT or a digital services company, you know, more than it does a restaurant company. In that way, it kind of thinks a little bit and acts a little bit like a Domino's or a Starbucks instead of the other brands. 
They have such a high digital penetration, small footprint, small cost to get the new units open and high growth rates. So all those things kind of make make the brand a little unique and it's grown a lot, right? So it's not as big of a deal to go from two or three units and then to build three or four a year, even if you're a small operator, and to do so relatively cost effectively and quickly if you can find strip center locations and and then you just go for it, right? And you get the stores open. And so he had built 20 locations in the Cleveland and Columbus areas and and really had done uh, a, a great job with it. And we were able to, to sell that company. It was big pricing. You've heard me talk a lot about some of the premier brands. You know, this was a premier kind of multiple paid for Wingstop business, largely because of uh, the, the huge sales growth increases and also the availability of new unit growth in the brand, which is different, again, from some of the more legacy brands out there that have been around for 60 or 70 years. I mean, go drive down a street in your hometown and see some of these brands that were um, been around a long time. And, and what you, I think you'll find is, you know, it's hard to find some of these legacy brands and dot them across the country because they've already been dotted across the country by various franchisees and their growth rate on a new unit growth perspective is just relatively low. It's just necessarily how it is. They were already, been, they've already been built out, but some of the new concepts that are a little more asset light and a little more friendly to digital have proven to be ones that can grow. And I think that's what excites people is if they can add new units and do so at a pretty profitable clip. And so that really kind of showed up in, in this transaction. You know, we hadn't done much Wingstop business before, but it was a it's a great deal. Big prices, lots of interest and kind of want to do do more of it. So those are a couple of recent assignments for us. And uh, with that, and then we, you know, we just closed a, a almost 30 unit Taco Bell business. I'll talk more about that in the next podcast. Uh, but, but that was a, a, also a very heavily subscribed deal in a major Metro US market and had, uh, you know, kind of record prices. Both the Taco Bell and Wingstop businesses were trading above 10 times EBITDA on a, on a historical TTM basis. So uh, big numbers, especially as you look at interest rates being so high, you wouldn't expect it to be that way. Like I've said in the past, though, a combination of things, you know, the cream rises to the top when you have really good assets and businesses, right? That would be the first thing. And, and the second thing is that when there is a scarcity of supply, there are always people who want to buy things. And so um, when there's a real scarcity of supply, the, the pricing, the demand's high and the pricing stays high may change a little bit as the PL gets fuller uh, as we head towards the end of the year a and b you know we continue to feel the effects of interest rates and a little bit of a credit squeeze and then c you know, we see more deals on the market i mean those three things may cool off the the multiples a little bit as we move forward we'll see how that progresses especially as we move into 2024 Okay, so so now I want to just chat a little bit about uh, about this lender survey results, just so you guys get a, a bit of perspective here. Perspective here. So we had we we posed these 15, 16, 17 questions to lenders, sent it out. We had thirty five responses last year and thirty nine responses this year. And that's one thing, and we put out this survey on email to everyone on our email database. I think it's really valuable. Last year it got picked up by the Restaurant Monitor and Franchise Times, and they published a lot of the results of the article in their in their uh, monthly publication. So check that out. I think that was maybe in October of last year. Um, the goal is to keep this thing going. I mean, this the, the survey results do help the franchisees give them directional understanding. Most franchisees, if you're not in the business, not all, but most franchisees who borrow money from lenders have to have both, you know, 
money for their businesses. And, and most of these loans have, have like a five-year term, sometimes a seven-year term on them, but most of them are, are only for a certain term that's shorter than the amortization of their business, forcing them to have to refinance their business every five to seven years or so. So the condition of the lending market is actually very important. A lot of these folks have locked in rates that are, that are really competitive, right, from a couple of years back, and they're eyeing like I would be what the current state of the lending market is when it comes time to refinance their business with their existing lender or have to look elsewhere to, to do that. So that's part of the reason why we do this. The first question was, what is your opinion of the operating environment right now? Okay, again, this is 39 responses this year, and it's as of, again, July, 1st of July, basically, of 2023. So about 50% of the responses said difficult but improving. Operating environment's difficult but improving. 25% said normal, just a bit challenged. And then you had a kind of an even keel. The remaining 25% was divvied up between difficult and likely to get worse or a multi-year correction could be in motion which uh, I thought was interesting. And I think the takeaway here as you look at the October 2022 results was, uh, you know, you, you have a larger percentage of people who say that, it, that the current operating environment could be a multi-year correction or could likely get worse. Um, not significantly, but that portion of the, of the crowd has, has, um, has grown. And then also the not actually that was back from our June 2022 survey from October of last year. Look, pardon me here. From October of last year, actually, the number has shrunk. And, and I guess the, you know, the, the takeaway here would be that the mood of the lenders has actually, and pardon again, that the mood has actually improved a little bit. That difficulty or likely to get worse or multi-year correction was about 25%, but it was more like 40% in October. So it's actually dropped, which means that more people think that the environment is normal. I was, I was pleased to hear that. Um, we're still in a position where, you know, uh, 25% of the people think the respondents think that we're in kind of negative time. Uh, so, so it's interesting to watch. There seems to be a bit of a bifurcation amongst the lenders too, which is something that, you know, I've kind of been watching as I've gone to these conventions this year and talked to the lenders. You know, you'll have some lenders who are either open for business and lending. You'll have some that say they're open for business and lending, but really aren't. And then you have some that are generally pretty cautious. And I think that kind of goes alongside with the results here. The second question was, what is your opinion of the likelihood and severity of a recession? So uh, let's say we had about, you know, a, it, it was kind of a third, a third, a third. A third said recession is possible. Uh, a third said re- recession is very likely, bounce back quickly. And then a third said recession is very likely, effects are, are going to be somewhat lingering. And I think, again, that if I look back to October of 2022, the results are, you know, clearly a, a little bit better. I mean, if we look back then, I think we felt like, and I did at least, that we would hit a recession a lot quicker and more forcefully than, than we really have. I mean, it's it's been, as I look back on it, and I'm not overly optimistic necessarily, but but I think I, I would have said last year that we would have been in a worse place than than we are from a, from a, um, a cooling down of the economy perspective. So that's uh, question number two. Question number three, how many new corporate borrowers or new customers have you added in the past six months? And this was kind of a new question that we started to ask. So about 44% of the respondents said they only have between two or four new buyers and new customers or borrowers in the next six months. And then and then you have another 18% have zero to one. So that's over 60% of the respondents said they have between zero and four new clients or customers in the past six months. 
And likely that's not zero and four. Likely the average of that is one or two. So 60% of the respondents only have a couple of new customers or less, right? That's not necessarily indicative of how difficult the market is. It may somewhat be you know, indicative too of the lack of a volume of opportunities, but it's very notable nonetheless, right? And then you have a 20, about a quarter of the respondents said they have five or six new customers that they've added in, five, in the past six months. And then just a small sliver had more than that. So there is a contingency here of the group of lender responses that are actually doing a lot of business, right? That are actually picking up a bunch of new customers, likely because of you know, either some M&A activity, some refinance activity that from other banks that are closing down shop or that are trying to get out of the loans that they're currently in. So again, back to this point of, you know, it's kind of a bifurcated market, right? Uh, it's, it's a little nuanced here. The next question how many new corporate borrowers or customers have you added in the past 12 months? These results are, are, are kind of similar, although, you know, um, over 44% of the customers said between five and six, uh, pardon me, over 44% of the lenders said between five and six new, new customers. So, but the allocation and, you know, looks about the same, you know, you, again, I've come to the same conclusion that over the last 12 months, there have, there, there's been a, you know, a contingency of folks that are lending. Uh, it looks like, you know, if you, if we, if we have 44% that have added new customers uh, that added five to six customers in the last 12 months, and we only have 23% that have added five to six customers in the last six months, I guess we come to the conclusion that, that it is it, that it's slowing, you know, quite, you know, quite substantially in the last six months, right? Which would be consistent with what we've seen. It's it's been pretty chilly right now in terms of the the volume of M and A activity uh, to finance, quite frankly. And so you have a, a bunch of people who are sitting on their hands looking for deals to do. Okay, next is how much is your loan volume currently dropping because of rising rates or weaker credit? responded modest drop, but should turn around later this year. Uh, That was, uh, you know, up from 31% in October of last year. 25% said not much change. 40% last year said not much change. That's interesting. And then about 25% said things are chilly right now, or there's a modest drop that'll get worse, which is pretty similar to what it was back in October. So I'm, I'm looking at this response and thinking about what I would tell you here Modest. I think what I would say is that there is more optimism, right? So if almost 50% of the respondents this year said that there's been a modest drop in loan volume because of you know rising rates and weaker credit, but that we expect a turnaround later this year, then I then that's a pretty strong kind of endorsement that they think things will get better, which is good, right? Which is good. Um, I guess I would also say that these respondents are largely the people who are trying to make loans at banks. I don't have as much, uh, you know, kind of access to the special asset division, you know, kind of people who do workouts or the underwriters of these lenders. I wonder if their responses would be different than kind of the more out front salesy people within these banks who are trying to get more deals. But um, but but there's probably a little bit of a positive optimism or, or spin on some of the responses here. You know what I mean? But that's a good, I think that's a fairly good sign. Okay, the next one is how many franchise M&A deals are you personally trying to fund right now? Interesting one. So 20, 30% say zero to one. Wow, that's a, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a big number. Back in, back in October, it was, though, it was 67% said zero to three. We changed, we changed the uh, results here. 
This year, 28%, almost 30% have between zero and one M&A deals that they're currently trying to fund. My guess is that most of them are zero. So that's a big percentage. And then 46% say between two to four deals they're trying to personally fund right now. And then, and then the remaining 25% or so have between five and eight or more deals that they're personally trying to fund. By the way, on the margin, 25% of people sound to be really busy. I don't know what type of M&A deals they're, 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 they're trying to fund. And clearly, I included both large lenders and smaller lenders too here. So it could be that there are, some, there are a couple, I know, uh, SBA lenders here. They, we don't do much business with, with those types of lenders, but they could be, you know, have, a, have a higher volume. Most of the business that we do is going to be kind of the large uh, you know, restaurant and franchise deals that are $30 million and up transaction, a lot of their transactions, a lot of them syndicated. And so, so there's a, a d- difference in responses here that, that needs to be noted. But uh, still, there seems to be some optimism and a lot of lending in a small portion of this market. And then there's a big chunk of the market that's doing nothing. You know, and then there's the majority of the market that's doing between two and four deals right now. Okay, the next response is in the past year, how many of your M&A deals have been retraded, repriced, or restructured? Good question, right? 36% said a few, but isolated in circumstance or brand. 30% say some have been retraded, repriced, or restructured. 25% said not many, no change from normal. And then 8% said many or most. As I look back to this, to October of last year, the results are somewhat similar, somewhat similar, somewhat similar. So not, not really meaningful to note the differences. So, okay. So how do I feel about this? Well, historically speaking on the deals unbridled capital does, I would say, I would say that very few of our deals get retraded. Now, maybe it's the case that we are working with higher quality clients. Maybe we're just good at what we do. I'm sure that's part of it, all of that. Um, So I would probably in a normal 10-year window look personally at our deals and say, I would look at, at the results here and think they're a little bit negative, that there's been more retrading, repricing, and restructuring than normal. This is certainly what I would say just anecdotally by eyeballing the current state of the marketplace. So for the survey results to say 30% say some deals are, and then another 8% say many are, 25% say not many from normal, and then 37, 36% say a few, but only isolated to the brand or circumstance. That certainly seems to be more than normal. I do make note of a lot of the difficulty in getting some of these deals closed is brand specific. So that 36% doesn't surprise me a bit. I mean, as you all see in the headlines and read in the tea leaves, right, there have been certain brands that have been really, really been, been performing poorly. They're harder to finance. They're harder to get closed. And so we've, we've seen alternative financing structures, uh, a lot of seller financing you know, kind of creative ways, uh, you know, to, to do earnouts and things like that. Uh, kind of unconventional lenders coming into the space to take down some of these deals. They might be distressed. They may be larger and not have a home necessarily. It's hard to do a bank syndicate in a difficult brand that has, you know, a big 
a big need to be financed, and, but it's going to take like six or seven lenders to do it and to get all of them on board when, when, when you're above the kind of the $35 million threshold. It's difficult to do in certain brands right now. So I do think there's very, there's, there, there's nuanced news here. I mean, it's kind of the same thing that if you're kind of in the brands that have been languishing and there's a lot of M&A, distressed M&A out there in that brand at this time, it's going to be harder to get your deal closed through a lender without it getting repriced along the way. Whereas, you know, some of the brands that, that are performing well, it's just the opposite. They'll sail through if performance is good and, and there's a lot of demand from the lenders. How many of your deals are not reaching closing? 39 responses here. 46.2% said a few are not reaching close, closing, but just isolated to brand or circumstance. Again, I think it's consistent with my last commentary. 25% say not many, no change from normal. 15% say some, and 12.5% say many or most aren't reaching, reaching closing. I think this, again, is kind of consistent with, with the the comment in the survey results from above about retrading, repricing, and restructuring deals. Pretty similar, right? You know, so you have kind of a mishmash of responses, leads me to the same place. If you're in certain brands that are difficult, deals aren't going to be easy to close. In a quarter of the respondents, it's no change from normal. There are, there, you know, 13% are saying many or most of my deals aren't reaching closing, which is a little bit higher, obviously, than normal would be. But, but uh, I think it shows a mixed bag. If you're willing to be a participant, in a syndicated credit facility in the past, would you today? This is a new question that we asked this time. And I think it's an interesting, right? Interesting one. So if you were willing to be a participant in a syndicated credit facility in the past, would you today? In other words, if it's a big deal called a $100 million deal and it needed a lead lender to take $35 million and then like five, four other lenders to take the remaining $65 million, you know, would you be willing to participate if you were one of those junior lenders coming in on it? And so here's the answer. 44% said yes, but only with depository participation. I'm just a good old country boy, right? So like, what does that mean, right? But only with depository participation. That means that they're not going to do a deal and come alongside a senior lender, you know, kind of a, a left-leaning lender, unless they get a deposit with it, the deposits or their share of the deposits. This is a new trend and the new trend here, and this is what I wanted to kind of tickle out of this question and it sure as heck came through, over 44, almost 44% of the people won't come in on a big deal as a junior lender unless they get a portion of the deposits. And it's because their deposits, their loan to deposit ratios are really, really bad right now and they've deteriorated. Why? Well, there's a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is because Banks have been slow to offer any sort of interest rates, right? And so what's happened? You know, think about yourself. If, if you are chasing a little bit of yield on your money and looking to get a little bit in front of this inflation whammy, you've probably moved your money out of a traditional bank, haven't you? Who's offers you 0.0% you know, on your, on your you know, checking account, right? And you've probably put it in money markets or you put it in T-bills, some of these areas where you can get higher yield and keep up with inflation a little bit, you know, even if you can't fully keep up with it. So for that very reason, you've seen a lot of people pull money out of out of uh, banks uh, in the last 12 months and deposits have dropped. And and so loan to deposit and existing loans are, are on the books. Deposits have dropped. So loan to deposit ratios have gotten much, uh, you know, have gotten much worse for these banks. And now they're seeking deposits. And it's kind of like a 
pretty binary formula for them. So this is a big deal. If you are going out to to get a, a you know syndicated facility, you will probably find even a, a you know smaller lender coming alongside saying, "I need to have some of the deposits here in order to be able to make this loan." So forty four percent said yes, but only with depository participation. Twenty six percent said yes, nothing has changed. Seems to be, by the way, that about a quarter of the respondents in almost all these questions kind of answer that way, right? Like nothing's changed, nothing's changed from normal. So uh, it, it, just, just note that particularly. And then 17.9 or let's just say 18% said no, only a sole lender is what I would be at this time. Since this is the first time I asked this question, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but almost 20% of the people say, hey, I'm only willing to be a primary lender, not a syndicated credit facility lender. And then 13% said, yes, deposits not required, but pricing is my number one consideration. Okay, so um, take that for what, it, what it's worth. That's a, a interesting results. Next question, what percentage of your clients are currently out of compliance on their loans? All right, so back in October, 54% said zero to 10% or you know, only zero to 10%. Now, 64% say zero to 10%. So that's good. So it's, it's improved, right? So less folks say their franchisees are out of loan compliance, which is great. I think it's consistent with this time, you know, October of last year, we'd been through kind of 10 really tough months. Things have improved this year. Financials have gotten stronger generally. Same store sales are up in almost all the brands. And profitability is significantly higher in most, with most of the franchisees, at least on the restaurant side, who we've talked to and, and who we're doing business with over the last six months. Um, so that's good. Back in October of 22, 40% said between 10 and 25% are out of loan compliance, which is a, that's a kind of a bigger threshold. Here, it's only 20% are, are that way. But it's interesting. I, I think there, there was hardly anybody who is 25% or more out of loan, out of covenant compliance in October of 22. Now I see that that number is more like 16, 15 to 20% now. So again, what that probably tells me is some of the, you know, the, some of the brands who have languished um, either have not been able to turn it around substantially or their turnaround has not been forceful enough or quick enough to get out of the penalty box. Uh, so, um, you know, sometimes when you have, it's like compound interest, you, you know, you pull it out and, and over an, a long enough time and the results actually get larger. Right. So I, that's, that's what I take there is that you probably have a, it, it says a good 64, almost 65% or only between zero and 10%, you know, out of compliance, which is, which I think is a healthy, you know, percentage, you know, improving, good news. And then you have kind of this, kind of this languishing 15 to 20% that are actually of lenders who actually, you know, say that up to, upwards of 25 to 35% of their clients are out of compliance. Next question. All right. Hope I hope I've catch, catching you guys still awake. <laughs> I kind of feel like this is a little dry. Oh, by the way, and I'll mention this again at the end, when we, um, uh, next month we're going to have a webinar that I'll put to a podcast with uh, with a you know Mike uh, right now it's Mike Egan at Sonovas Bank and Nick Cole at MUFG and we're going to talk about this you know we're going to get their viewpoints on 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 how the lending market is going right now so stay tuned for that I think that'll be better commentary and more kind of you know 
read between the, the lines than even I'm providing here. Okay, next question. Which deals are most likely to get done through your bank? 44% said tier one, smaller, low leverage deals. Interesting. 33% said tier one, larger, high leverage deals. When I say tier one here, these are the brands, vaguely speaking, that have three or 4,000 units or more. So these would be the big names that you see on every street corner. So fully 77% are, are wanting to loan into tier one. And then you have 20% who are wanting to loan into tier two, larger, low leverage deals. And those would be the second tier. So you do have a nice, and this is, if you're listening to this and you're a franchisee and you're not a tier one lender, you can go to call the big names. And oftentimes the big names, you know, the big banking names aren't going to want to loan to you because you're not one of their tier one brands that are approved from the top down. But this survey seems to indicate to me something I've already known, that there's a probably one-fifth of the lenders really want to work with the, the larger, low-leverage tier two clients. And there's a market there. Some It may have to be like dug through a little bit, right? Find the needle in the haystack with which lender wants to work on a brand that has a thousand units and you're a 50-unit franchisee, wants to buy another 50-unit franchisee in that brand, for example. But that, but that market does exist. You just have to look for it. Um, otherwise, you know, the kind of you kind of see an equal, uh, no, you don't. You see about two thirds of the respondents' responses want to do low leverage deals, and a third want to do higher leverage, larger tier one deals. You know, I, I can imagine, like, for example, on the, on the higher leverage deals, like the Taco Bells of the world, you know, some of the lenders are really focused on the higher quality deals, and those come with higher leverages because the prices are, are higher, right? So that may be an indication of. Of, uh, of lenders being more comfortable with the more premier brands, at least from a, a recent perspective. Good results there. Let's see, what segment are you most positive on right now? And the choices were pizza, burgers, chicken, Mexican, and specialty. Okay, pizza, 7.7%. 8% of respondents said pizza they're the most positive on. Burgers, 23%. Chicken, 28%. Mexican, 28%, and specialty, which would be all, basically all others, you know, 13%. I said specialty because there's a big movement with some of these, uh, you know, sub, sub shop brands and some of these, you know, kind of, you know, other kind of growth, emerging, emerging market kind of, kind of brands or smaller brands that have been growing unit count a lot. And so um, that is not, though, a, a primary focus here. The, the most positive on, it seems like either Mexican, again, a.k.a. Taco Bell, I'm sure, is most of this response, or 28% is on chicken. And, you know, goodness gracious, chick, the chicken space continues to, to like, really over-index, doesn't it? I mean, it just seems, you know, it seems like every day that, you know, you hear more positive news on Zaxby's or Raising Cane's or Chick-fil-A. Or, I mean, you know, and you have some of the historic brands that have given up some market share, um, but you still have big brands like KFC and, you know, and uh, certainly Popeye's and, and some of the others. But the chicken segment has just really grown uh, tremendously. It, it's been a good place to be and certainly is, is competitive now, isn't it? You know, you see you see one of these chicken brands uh, on every on every street corner, but still lenders are pretty positive in those. So when you consider chicken, burgers and Mexican, you make up. What over eighty percent of the responses here, leaving the remaining twenty percent to be either pizza or specialty, and so I'm hopeful that that pizza will kick back up in there because because pizza I think is an an area that has a 
that's on a pretty decent upswing, at least uh, with my good friends at Pizza Hut. And I'm happy for them that they've seen some great sales growth this year and some good promotions and some good traction. Um, some of the other pizza concepts have, have languished a little bit this year in terms of same store sales and profitability. Some of it's coming off some of the highs that they've had, a little bit of competition these days, right, from, from third-party uh, delivery like DoorDash and Uber Eats. In other words, you used to only be able to get a pizza to your front door five years ago, but now you can get everything from a taco to a, you know, to a, you know, coffee, you know, delivered to you now. So um, I think that's eaten into some of the pizza business a little bit, but I've got good hope that that'll improve a little bit for our pizza folks here coming forward. Another question, just a few more. What part of the loan process is getting the most scrutiny from your risk department? There are four choices, interest rates and fees, amortization and term, deposits and ancillary business and personal guarantees. Now, if you're if you're awake and paying attention, you should be able to guess which one's going to get the most uh, uh, answers. Yes, 41% is deposits and ancillary business. Again, banks saying, I need to have your deposits, your piddly deposits, because, I mean, you know, most people pay on credit card. There's not a whole lot of deposits that are going to come in, but I need those little deposits in order or a portion of those little deposits in this in this industry in order to make a loan. So that's that's something to keep in mind. 31% say interest rate and fees. 20% say amortization and term and only 7.7% say personal guarantees. So isn't that interesting? That's some that's some news that you might be able to use to your advantage when you're negotiating a loan. Maybe the personal guarantee isn't as big of a deal. It maybe it's certainly less of a deal than some of these other things. So if you're negotiating with a bank, maybe you can use that to your advantage. If a personal guarantee removal, burn off or not inclusion is something that is important to you. Okay, next one. What metric is the most important metric to you right now? This is one of three more questions. So there are three answers. A, debt to EBITDA. B, fixed charge coverage ratios. And C, lease adjusted leverage. Okay. So lease adjusted leverage is came in number one at 39%. Basically no change from last year. Fixed charge coverage is 33%. It was 40% last year. And so that is become, and I think what's happened was although fixed charge coverage ratio kind of bears the weight of interest expense a little bit more, I'm actually surprised by that answer. I would have expected that that number to stay the same or increase since interest rates have been higher. Um, there, you know, it, it would be, it would have been my supposition that that lease adjusted leverage would have given up more of its lead to uh, fixed charge coverage ratios in terms of compliance and, and metrics for making loans um, as interest rates have increased, but but maybe not. And then debt to EBITDA was 20%. Now it's 28%. There's been a little bit of an increase in the debt to EBITDA calculation as a factor for making a loan. Not necessarily a surprise in a market where we're getting a little bit more conservative and a little bit more scared to make loans. Okay, what's your expectation on lease-adjusted leverage movement in the next 12 months? All right, kind of a geeky question. This is, again, but barely so the most prevalent kind of, kind of term or, or, or metric that, 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 that lenders are using to make their loans to figure out um, how much they're willing to advance to a client and, and at what interest rate, basically, too. 
um, on a transaction, whether it's just a refinancing of their business or an acquisition to add on, you know, new restaurants or new profit streams to their business. So for lease adjusted leverage, 30, let's see, 55% said we expect it to drop between 15 to 25 basis points lower. What that means is that it will be harder to buy a business or finance a business with the same down payment if the lease adjusted leverage drops. So you can either, so that the respondents are basically zero to 15% or pardon me, zero to 15 basis point drop. That's A. B is 15 to 25 basis point drop. C is 25 to 45 basis point drop. And D is the big old 45 to 60 basis point drop. And you had 54% were in the 15 to 25 basis point lower uh, range. And then you had uh, a little over, let's see, 20% were 0 to 15% lower, so not much change. 20% were at 25 to 45 basis point lower, which is pretty negative, and then just a very small sliver for the worst kind of metric. So, I mean, I guess if I look at this, I come to the conclusion that that lenders are going to tighten that calculation and that metric a little bit. Probably the average of all of this stuff might be somewhere around 25 basis points. You know, I, I don't know. It looks like it. So if you were, you know, at a five and a quarter to 5.75 lease adjusted leverage, you know, depending on kind of the brand, the history, the success, the kind of the metrics of the transaction, you might kind of generally feel like by the end of the year it would move down to five to five and a half times or, uh, you know, lease adjusted leverage. So what does that mean? I mean, that amount of movement likely means that there, you know, that it'll be, if you have embedded equity, it may not be as big of a deal for you, but if you're coming out of your pocket with new equity to buy a transaction, it likely means there's going to be a slight uptick of down payment, you know, equity you're going to have to bring to the business or a little bit of a strip of, of uh, you know, financing in the middle, or potentially the price may have to either be negotiated lower slightly, maybe let's call it by 5%, who knows, or there might need to be a little sliver of seller financing or earnout to make the purchase price. None of this stuff should be surprising. And then the last question, again, also had 39 respondents are, based on the Fed's actions, where do you see interest rates settling in the next six to nine months? All right. So you had uh, you had A was zero to 25 basis points higher. All these answers are higher, right? Um, B is 25 to 50 basis points higher. C is 50 to 100 basis points higher. And then D is 100 or more basis points higher, of which there were no D answers. So A had 33%. So 33% of the respondents said zero to 25 basis points increase. And then we had... Uh, 41% said 25 to 50 basis points increase higher. And then you had 25% who said 50 to 100 basis points higher from here. And of course, that has come down a little bit from this time last year, you know, from October of last year, simply because we've already seen quite a few interest rate hikes. And it, it indicates what we all know, that there's probably a little more to go, but that, uh, but, but that we might be closer to the end of the interest rate increasing environment. Who knows? I guess we'll have to continue to see. But that's at least the expectation relative to last year's study for these lenders. So as we kind of conclude here, I, I would again kind of remind you that, that next month, keep an eye out if you're on our email distribution list. We're going to be doing a webinar with, right now it's Mike uh, Egan at Synovus Bank and Nick Cole at uh, MUFG. And we'll, we'll, we'll be going through kind of just their views on the, the lending market, which I think will be a good one. I'm also toying around with a podcast later this summer on 
the difference between an asset sale and a stock sale in a transaction and the difference in process that's driven by the smallest types of M&A transactions, mid-sized asset-based kind of asset deals, you know, and then the larger uh, private equity type of uh, M&A transactions, the differences between them as it comes to uh, transactions, due diligence and all that stuff. So I think that'll be an interesting one. That'll probably come out in early uh, September. But other than that, I, I guess in closing, I would say the general takeaway from this survey is things seem to be getting a little bit better. Lenders are not very busy. You know, there's not a lot of deals in the marketplace, but it sounds like if there's a modest uptick in activity, that there's going to be folks there like to do these transactions. It feels like the lease adjusted leverage will come down a little bit. It feels like for syndicated deals and certainly maybe with other lenders too, that you're going to have to come up with some deposits to satisfy them because that's a big hot button since their loan to deposit ratios have changed so much over the last nine months. And it also sounds like there is a pocket of negativity that is driven by and positivity that are driven by the specific differences in the brands. Some brands have done really well and there are lenders ready to go aggressive with them right now at high leverage and with great terms where there's also a sliver that is bad and getting worse in those types of brands have 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 been unable it looks like in in many instances to dig out of the hole that was created during covid stay tuned if there's any questions that we can ever answer you can always reach out to us on our website or you know you can call me or our staff otherwise and i uh, hope you guys enjoy the the rest of this july and look forward to to talking to you soon take care Thanks so much for entering the Boiler Room today. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you like these podcasts, please listen, rate, and review. I also encourage you to visit our website at www.unbridledcapital.com for the best franchise M&A and financial resources in the industry. Our website includes webinars, podcasts, videos, white papers, and a list of our past M&A transactions. Please note that neither Rick Ormsby nor Unbridled Capital Advisors, LLC, give legal, financial, or tax advice. These podcasts represent opinions that have been prepared for informational purposes only. We expressly disclaim any and all liabilities that may be based on such information, errors therein, or omissions therefrom.